1996, Midwestern rock musician Orrin Moon vanished, leaving behind a mysterious relic of great supernatural power that was sought after by a variety of occult creatures and practitioners. But he was also a dad, and his daughter Mel was left to pick up the pieces after his disappearance. The mystery of Orrin Moon was never solved, but I've been tasked with telling his untold story and the quest that Melody Moon undertook to discover the truth about her father's legacy. On this week's episode, Mel finds herself investigating an abandoned home that is plagued by something evil and haunted by the decisions of one desperate father. This is Bad Notes, episode 19. Small tufts of dust erupted around her hand. 
it just looks like everything stopped. I think we both knew the answer, but we were afraid to admit it to one another. This place was a tomb. She pulled the backpack off the chair and started rummaging through it while I went further into the kitchen. The groaning had stopped, and now the only sound we could hear was the chanting coming from those damn things outside. I examined one of the plates of ruined food on the dinner table. Whatever it had been was now covered in mold and had rotted so much that it was just an unrecognizable mound in the middle of the dish. The other two plates had less food on them, and it looked as if they'd been partially eaten before being abandoned. It was like the person at this plate hadn't even touched their food. The kitchen counter was scattered with old mail. Bills, mailers, newspapers, utility notices. On the old green stove at the center of one wall sat a pot that might have once held whatever was rotting on the kitchen table. Trails of dead and dried maggots surrounded the little pot. Some of them were stuck to the sides of the container and some had made it as far as the floor. It looked like someone had spilled rice all over the place. It doesn't smell right in here, Mel said from behind me. I looked over my shoulder and the expression on her face had changed from one of pain to one of revulsion. I think I was too worried about those things outside to notice it at first, but do you smell it? I did. The rational part of my brain must have detected it as soon as we entered the house, but the panic-driven part of my brain had blocked it until Mel said something. That's decay, I whispered. And I wasn't talking about the food on the table. There were kids, Mel said. Her voice was barely audible, even in this electric silence. What if something happened to them? I thought about the groan we'd heard before. It definitely wasn't the sound of a child. Mel, I said. This could be a trap. But what if it's not, she said. She glanced at the bag and dumped the contents onto the table. It wasn't the kind of stuff a kid would take to school. Instead, it was clothes, a flashlight, a box of crackers, some reading books, and a teddy bear that was missing an arm. Mel stared at all of it and then at me. She was trying to run away from something, she said. Then she winced in pain again and tried to compose herself. We don't know who she is, I said, watching Mel wander back into the living room. There was a television and VCR combo sitting on a table opposite the couch and next to the empty fireplace. Beside it was a black camcorder bag and a pile of tapes. A few were scattered on the floor in front of the TV stand. Mel carefully picked up three of the tapes. We could find out who she was, Mel said turning the tapes over in her hands. Maybe we could find out who they all were. There's no power in this place, I said. She dug through the camera bag and found four extra batteries. Maybe there's enough juice in one of these? 
She must have sensed my hesitancy. Look, I may not like how my dad did my mom and me, she said. And I may be scared shitless about this whole quest to find him and the guitar, but if he's who Alonzo and Ginny say he is, or is what he is, then I think it's time for me to step up. Something about this place is clawing at me, and I can't help but think that maybe it has to do with what my dad was doing for all those years. That it has to do with what he was. And what if it's telling you just to run, I asked. Then I guess I'm not a very good listener, she said with a smile. What if it's telling me to dig in? She glared at me with an air of certainty and confidence that I hadn't seen in her for years. What if this pain is just telling me to stand up and do something? We looked at each other in silence for a few moments, and when I didn't say anything else, she held the tapes in the bars of sunlight that broke through the boarded windows. Holy shit, she said, dropping two of the tapes and pulling the third closer to her face. I made my way back to the living room and approached her as she held the small camcorder tape in front of her so I could read the label. At first, I couldn't tell what it said. Then her arm moved a little, and the light hit it just right. The label on the tape said, Final Recording. And below it, in smaller handwriting, was the word, Confession. This break is to let you know that Bad Notes is sponsored by Orb Industries, the secretive organization that rescued me from a demon and charged me with telling the story of Orin and Melody Moon. But did you know that Orb Industries recently opened a theme park in the middle of nowhere? There were no press releases, and the marketing materials, three scrolls made out of animal skin, were shown to a family of blind owls in the middle of a foggy forest. The park itself exists merely in the mind of the beholder, and is a soundless whisper on the wind that bellows out of the void. I was given tickets to the park, but they burst into flames as soon as I held them between my fingers. The ash fell to the ground in such a way that it created a simple phrase, which I guess is this week's ad copy. It said, Careful what you wish for. Yeah, you Only one of the camcorder's batteries held enough power to run the machine. Mel put the tape into the door on the side of the device, pulled a view screen out of the other side, and then pressed the power button. The camera whirred to life, and the viewfinder flicked on. We saw a mildly overweight man in his mid-forties sitting on the couch that was behind us in this living room. The 
lights were on, but some of them appeared to flicker sporadically as the man stared at the camera. He wore a blue button-up shirt and tan slacks. His brown hair was disheveled, as if he'd normally kept it high and tight, but had missed a few trips to the barber. He took a deep breath, then closed his eyes. They were surrounded by enormous, dark bags, and his skin was the color of old newspaper. When he spoke, it was almost a whisper. My name is Dwight Madsen. If you discover this tape, it means I'm probably dead, but that's the least of your worries. This is a confession. An admission. Seven weeks ago, I did something terrible. And I I think... He began sobbing and turned off the recording. A second later, he was turning it on again and finding his spot on the couch. He wiped some tears out of his eyes and started speaking again. My wife died last year. Out of the blue, just fell sick, went to the doctor, and next thing we knew, she was laid up in a hospital bed for two weeks, just waiting for her last breath. She didn't even get to say goodbye to our kids when she finally went. You know? They were stuck at school, even though they knew she was on her way out. One afternoon, her vitals went south, and within half an hour, she was gone. And the kids were still at school. We tried to live without her. Tried to move on the best we could, you know? But I couldn't. I, I I, couldn't let her go. I was angry. See, I prayed. When she was sick, I prayed. And then when she was in the hospital, I, I prayed. And when she was staring past me during those final moments, when she was facing whatever it was on the other side of this life, I prayed. I prayed so much. And for what? In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. Ain't that what my preacher used to say? Well, Heather still died. So where's the righteousness in that? When my prayers went unanswered like a bill collector's phone call. Well, I guess I decided to try another number. He fell silent, and at first I thought the tape had paused, but he was just staring silently at the camera, frozen with a blank expression on his face and that flickering light from somewhere in the kitchen behind him. I noticed the muscles of his jaw working, tightening as he stared at the camera. Finally, he spoke again. I begged and I pleaded until someone answered me, until something said yes. Mel and I glanced at one another knowingly. This poor man had summoned something like murmur. He'd pulled it 
right out of the void and into his life. It said it would help bring her back, but that I had to hold up my end of the deal. Said it needed to feed. So, so it, it took my son. But the worst part? I didn't stop it. It took my son and made him do awful things, but I didn't do anything to stop it. I'm, I'm so sorry for everything. I, I think my little girl is going to try to run away, but it won't let her. I know it won't. And if she tries, I don't know what it'll do. So I have a plan. They're all sleeping right now. Even it, I mean, the thing and my son. And I think I know how to finally stop it. Once and for all. It lies. It'll never bring back my wife. I know that now. All it does is take, eat, consume. So, I'm going to poison it. I dug around the house and I think I found all the chemicals I need to make it happen. To do it. To do it to all of us. It's the only way. And if it works, if it works, then I'll... The camcorder battery died. And from somewhere inside the house, the groaning returned. Louder. Angrier. Hungrier. The beast was awake. Thanks for listening to Bad Notes, written and produced by L. David Hessler. Stick around for a clip from one of our upcoming Patreon exclusives, a bonus podcast called The Unheard Words of Orin Moon. This season's intro song is Ascend, used with permission by the band Primitivity. Find more of their work at Primitivity.com. Other sound effects and music were used through a Creative Commons Zero license. Bonus, I provided some of my own original music in this episode as well. See if you can find it. Looking for more cool stuff? Visit ldavidhessler.com for books, music, and more. And if you're still listening, thanks for hanging in there. You get a special treat. Here's a clip from my bonus podcast, The Unheard Words of Orin Moon, which will soon be available when the Bad Notes Patreon page launches later in January. Happy listening.
The other guys were still inside, probably trying to hit on whoever they could find. I was just stepping into the alley when I saw it. I don't have words for it, really. It was the shape of a man wearing jeans and a sleeveless white t-shirt, but its arms were too long for its body. Its hair was wavy, jet black, darker than the night itself, and its head was almost horse-like in shape, like someone had stretched it like one of those rubber Halloween masks. And when it smiled, there were just too many teeth. Like it had a mouthful of broken ivory. And then it said, You are no hunter. Its voice was like rock grinding across a sheet of metal. My first instinct, a whispering voice at the back of my head, said to throw my amplifier at the thing. So I did. It caught the creature off guard and sent it stumbling into a few trash cans on the other side of the alley. Before it could even recover, something else in my brain said to grab my guitar, which was still leaning against the edge of the van. So I did that too, and in the split second I clutched the neck of the guitar with my fingers, that same voice said, Smash it. As the man-thing regained its footing and turned to face me, the body of my guitar caught it on the side of its face. The instrument exploded on contact, leaving me with about a foot and a half of the wooden neck in my hands. The strings dangled from it, and I thought about trying to choke the thing out with the E-string. And it stared at me with wide, solid black eyes, like it was surprised I'd put up such a good fight. Then the creature managed to grab me by the shoulders with hands that were far too large to belong to a human talons dug into the flesh at my deltoids as it pulled me closer to its face. Its flesh was colorless, and its breath was filled with the aroma of rotting flesh, pungent but sickly sweet. Hunter or not, you'll make a fine meal, it said, then glanced at the building behind me and smiled. Maybe I'll make a feast of it too. <laughs> 